Give me your best ear tonight. I believe this is really important word. And those joining us online, we just bless you guys. And I know that group that came up from Kansas City was such a blessing to us here. We love and appreciate all you guys, if y'all are watching or listening to this. So uh, anyway, as we close out this conference tonight, I want to make sure we have time to pray for everybody and give everybody a chance, maybe kind of soak in God's presence for a little bit tonight. <clears throat> but I'm going to open with prayer. And we're going to dive into this. So, Father, as we come in Jesus' name and through his blood, Lord, we thank you for this time. I thank you for an open heaven. I thank you for your glory. Holy Spirit, I thank you for anointing and empowering this time. I thank you for your presence here. And, Lord, even now, as we're praying, we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit moving upon everybody that's going to be listening or watching this in any way, that the Holy Spirit is just breathing upon us and helping us to be good soil and giving us eyes and ears of the Spirit that we can get revelation. There's things we, we can't see on our own, but the Holy Spirit can help us. Jesus said he's come to teach us things and lead us into truth. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving upon God's people to hear and have eyes of the Spirit to see revelation and good soil of hearts and minds. And Lord, I, I thank you for speaking through me. Your word is living seeds of truth that's sown into good fertile soil that will be watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And Lord, we submit this time unto you. We resist it. We bind anything that would try to hinder. We command it goes now in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, the winds of your spirit are carrying this where it needs to go, accomplish what it needs to, and everything's going to be accomplished. And through this, that your will to be done, because the Bible says your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So, Lord, we thank you for everything accomplished, and through this time, the outworking of it in every life, at your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to dive into this tonight. As you can see, this fall feast time speaks of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we know that Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, speaks of the rapture, the catching away of the remnant bride. Yom Kippur speaks of, of the time of Jacob's trouble. And of course, Tabernacle speaks of Jesus physically coming to Tabernacle on the earth. So when we're in these times, you can't help but think about the soon coming of Jesus and us needing to be ready for that. And so that's one of the aspects of this sermon that I really want to focus on is here we are in the last days. And Jesus warned us that the love of many could grow cold. And that's a tendency that we're all going to have to be careful about because there's a lot of things that are going on that are very difficult. You remember the last sermon I preached on about being desensitized and there it said that these fierce times would come, perilous times that would be difficult to emotionally bear up under. And so that's, what, that's the result of that is, is that we... Uh, if we're not careful, the emotional pressure, the oppression of the enemy, the difficulty of the times and all that's going on and all that the things we're having to deal with with difficult people and all of that can take a toll. And we've all been through things. And if you're not careful, our love can grow cold. It can go, grow cold toward God. It can grow cold toward people. And that's a real tendency that I feel like God is highlighting and I felt that uh, Brother Ralph did a really good job last night of touching on some of that, and he touched on some of the things I'm going to be preaching on tonight as well, which I thought was really interesting, because I'd already had this pre, 
documented. So, how many knows the Holy Spirit knows what He's doing? It's just all just when we're all led by the Spirit, it all just flows, doesn't it? So, as we look at this tonight, I want to look at a couple things. Number one, the glory returning to the church. Now, in the 90s revivals, we know that was the great uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the glory. The emphasis was the Holy of Holies and the glory coming in. And just like every other revival, those that went with us through the historic revivals, and we looked over the last couple hundred years, the Holy Spirit will move. And it'll be an intense move. And it'll kind of ebb and flow. There'll kind of be a waning. And then there'll be another upsurge of the Holy Spirit moving, really in the same revival, but, but even in a greater way. And so we're seeing that that the 90s revivals have waned some, but there's about to be another major upsurge of this, and it will be even more intense in many ways, especially the glory, than the 90s revivals. And I believe that what has been impossible with man will all of a sudden become possible because God showed up. And the Lord's going to return his glory back to the church. Now, the glory is an awesome, wonderful thing, but the glory can also bring judgment if we're not careful. People that are playing games, people that are not going to repent of their sin, the glory can actually work against them, okay? So the glory's coming in, but the Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 17, that judgment begins in the house of God. So we want the glory, but of course, I believe by and large, river of life for a group of people, it's like, Lord... I repent, whatever you got to do in me. See, that type of sincerity, the glory is going to come in and bring a lot of healing and, and just a powerful move of refreshing in our midst. But people that are playing games and they're living in sin and stuff like that, the glory is going to resist them, you see. And so God's going to restore back his glory and he's going to release like a good, healthy judgment. And I believe the wheat and the tares will be separated. And I believe this with all my heart. This is coming it isn't something to get people like emotionally hyped up about. This is just a fact. I believe this is coming. And when the, when the Holy Spirit is poured out again and we see another upsurge of this revival, it's going to be a great blessing to those that have been pursuing the Lord and have had a healthy, from a biblical perspective, not man, from a biblical perspective, have had a healthy church that is pursuing the presence of God and pursuing holiness and all of that. I mean, it's going to come in, the tide's going to come in, and it's just going to take off. See, there's a story I've told many times about the guy that went out, and there was an older man out there, and the boat was stuck in the mud, and it was this huge boat, and he was out there, and the young man that didn't know much about the tide coming in and all that was like, sir, how in the world this thing is stuck? And he said, don't worry about something. Because he was, he was saying, push on the boat, and there was, I mean, obviously it's stuck in the mud. This thing weighs a ton, right? But he said, don't, don't worry about it. Wait till the tide comes in. The tide came in, that boat lifted, and he said you could just lean on it and it would move. So the point is this, that when the tide starts coming in, things that seem like they would never move will begin to move. And it, it will become so easy in the presence because the Lord has shown up. You've been fishing all night, and then the Lord shows up and says, just throw it on the other side. I mean, and the Lord all of a sudden just sweeps it in. It's him that's doing it. Unless the Lord build the house, them that labor, labor in vain. So those, though, let me say this, those that have been building their house on other things, not the way God wants it built. It's a bunch of hype. Hear me. Please hear me. Um, it's just entertainment. It's just a social thing. There's a lot of tares and goats and all that in there. I'm telling you, 
that when revival comes, it'll work against them. The sincere people are going to see that there's something more than what them just being entertained and getting motivational speeches and the sincere people are going to leave in droves to where God's moving. And the churches that are like that are going to be just left with the goats. And it's going to be hard on them. You know, I, I predict that many of them, their doors will actually shut. But it's a judgment. So God is sovereign. And let me tell you, Joel 2, 28 through 29, people say, well, is God going to send another awakening to America? Well, probably. But you got to understand, this is the way I feel about it personally. It's my, my opinion. I don't think that we're looking at something that has to do with America. I don't. I believe this is God's sovereign end time purposes that he has predetermined in his word what happened in the last days. And in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Not I'm going to do something for America. No, this is I will pour out my spirit on all flesh all over the world. And the end of the age is the harvest and I'll send my angels, Matthew 13, 39, and gather in the sheaves and God is going to purify a bride to be ready to meet the Lord in the air. It's not about a secular nation. People's focus needs to get on, on God's eternal purposes that he has revealed in his word that he said, I will do these things, pray about these things because I have predetermined that I will do this. So let's prepare for it. Let's get ready because it's coming. I'm telling you. And this move of God that's coming will do a deep purifying in us and get us ready uh, for what we call the rapture. And in, in, in the Greek, it's the harpazo, and it means a catching away, a sudden thing. So I, I talked about a few weeks back the deep consecration of the bride. And then I talked about how we can be defiled by things. Even though you may not sin, things that you're exposed to can bring a sense of defilement. So you got to be careful. And then I talked about how you can be desensitized. That's dangerous because once you're desensitized, that can hinder your walk with God. You understand? All of a sudden, your heart, if you're not careful, there's going to be people whose consciences are going to be seared. And they, they can't feel what they should feel. It's like a hardening of the heart. So we need to stay really sensitive to the Lord and so building upon those three things, the deep consecration, defilement, desensitized. Now, I want to talk about intimacy because this is where I believe God is calling River of Life is we're moving into a time of a greater visitation and intimacy. And I believe prophecies are about to start unfolding in the days to come that God has spoken to us. So there's been a great preparation in River of Life for years. And I know I've shared this, but I'm going to share it again just for the sake of those maybe that didn't hear a previous sermon I did about this. But a lot of people don't know, in fact, I didn't know this, that the Toronto Revival, there was at least 4 million people that came there, and it had a worldwide impact. It's, I would say in America for sure, but definitely throughout Europe and Canada, there was a major impact it had in many, many lives. And so with that said, I started looking into the, how, how God brought this about. And John and Carol, in a nutshell, I've shared this before, so I'll make it brief. But John had went in the 70s to Jerusalem, to Israel, and he was there, and it was a time of just seeking the Lord. He did some fasting. And while he was there, there was a conference that he went to, and it was like a, a greater body of Christ. And so there was a lot of different people there 
And some of them he was questioning, why, why are they necessarily here? Because they may be Catholic or, or Episcopalian or maybe Eastern Orthodox or whatever. So it was just kind of like a gathering of, of different people that would profess to be Christians, you know. And as he was sitting there thinking kind of critically, well, why are these people over here? And this man was preaching, I forget his name. But that night, the Holy Spirit fell on John and I mean just pierced him to the heart and gave him the guy preached on the love of God and gave him such a an overwhelming sense of God's love for all people a, a love for all those that were there a love for people that were different than him and he realized you know look I mean bottom line is this God loves these people you know and first and foremost we need to make sure that people know Jesus and, and then once they accept him, you know, we can give them advice or whatever. But the bottom line was this, that he needed to still love everybody. And that was a great preparation because Toronto, when you have millions of people coming like that, God is going to be drawing people from every type of background you could imagine. And you can't sit there with a critical religious demonic thing about you going, well, I don't like that person. I don't like the way they are. I don't like their background. I don't like the church they go. You can't do that. You got to have a love about you. Let God draw them in and God deal with them. If they're not going to repent and get right and, and they've got things that aren't right, God will take care of that, won't he? So he, God began this this process of love in him for all people and I believe brother Ralph did a good job of talking about that last night didn't he and then God spoke to him and Carol and said this if you'll give me your mornings to seek me and so that was the second thing God did so they began to have really strong personal prayer lives that's another great key we need to go deep in our personal prayer lives then the third thing God told him or God was doing was this he told John, I want you to go where I'm moving to servants that I have anointed, and I want that, you to get them to lay hands on you and receive of that anointing. And if you'll do the, these things, if you'll give me your mornings and you'll go and get hands laid on you, I will do what you're wanting me to do. And so he had to humble himself. How many knows that you've got to humble yourself and be willing to go outside of your circle to do that? Because... I say this in great love tonight, but God, all denominations across the board are man-made. And unfortunately, they're very, many times, not always, but many times they can be very divisive. And I've told this story, but I'm not going to, I'm going to use a lot of wisdom in the way I'm telling it. But there was a, a great revival. It doesn't matter that I mentioned it happened to be Brownsville in the 90s that was going on. And God had mightily touched me there, and I was working at a particular church that was not of that denomination. It was a different denomination. It was Pentecostal. And I'd asked permission that we could take the youth there. Now, let me tell you, it's important that you know this. The people that were going there and, and getting saved and then getting prayer were being radically transformed. The presence of God was so intense that people were literally coming back radically changed it wasn't like a good meeting see a lot of people hearing this you think revival and they think you know you put up a sign you have a speaker come in you have a couple weeks and it's good and you feel good it wasn't like that this was a deep life-altering thing god was doing and so i knew that these young people needed to go because that particular church i was at wasn't really into any type of revival the only thing they were getting was what was going on in the youth meetings, which was pretty powerful because I was going to the revivals and bringing the fire back to them. But I knew if I could get them there to that place and get prayer, I knew God would do a really deep work. 
And so I'd asked permission, and they said, yeah, you can go, and so we had to fundraise. Now, anybody that's ever worked, and probably nobody that I'm talking to has ever had to do this, so let me just explain. You've got to come up with all the money about hotels for all these kids, get permission slips. You've got to figure out travel. There's a lot to it, and it's expensive. And so we had to start doing fundraising. And so they're washing cars, they're baking stuff, and they're doing everything you can imagine. They did this for a long time, and these kids are working hard at it, and they raised the money to go. And so they're all fired up, and I'm getting excited too. I'm thinking, you know, when you're a youth pastor, you know all these kids. I'm thinking, man, some of these kids need the Lord to really touch them, you know. Needs the Lord to kind of smack them in the back of the head a little bit, right? And so I was excited about it. And about two weeks before we were to go, the, the pastor of this particular church in a different denomination than where the revival was comes up to me and says, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. He said, you're not going to go. And he said, you're not going to take those kids. I said, well, okay, but you already told me I could. And so I told them that they could. And they raised all this money, so why, why can't they go? And he said, because it's a different, that's this denomination, and we're a different denomination, and they're not going. How divisive and demonic is that, really? Think about what I'm saying. And so the young people didn't get to go. And, and the thing is that that church wasn't a powerful church. And many of those young people now, if you look at the outworking, I, I left not long after that. It, but if you look at the outworking of all of that could have been and what wasn't, many of them aren't even living for the Lord today. What would have happened if they'd went? And those powerful altar calls that were going on there with Steve and all that and went down and really repented and, and then got prayer and God just baptized them in that revival fire and did a deep work in them. I mean, they could be today totally different people. But what was it that kept them from the move of God? Religion. A religious spirit. So, anyway, I say all that to say, we, we need to let all this denominational garbage just be very secondary. I, I chose from studying uh, church history, revival history, and what God's done in my life, I chose to remain non-denominational. And I could be with two different denominations today if I chose to. But I, I have made a choice to be non-denominational for this reason. And I know, for example, and I'm going to make this brief as well, but Barton Stone that pastored the Great Cambridge Revival, um, what happened was, was that he was Presbyterian. And I wonder, because I went down there this last time I went down there, was researching some, and I, I knew that James McGreedy went down there and started these churches and began to gather them in prayer. And God began to really move. I mean, it became known as the Red River Revival, but it was powerful. I mean, people would be in there, and they would just be thrown to the ground, groups of people, and they were getting saved. It was really intense. And then Barton Stone comes, and he's a part of that. He's watching it. He's in awe because, by the way, James McGreedy was Presbyterian, so this was like a gathering of those churches. Barton Stone comes, and he's in awe of what God's doing. So he goes back. He's telling the people about, and the Holy Spirit falls on them at the Cane Ridge Presbyterian Church. And I wondered, I asked the Lord the last time I was down there kind of doing some revival research, James McGreedy was an anointed, powerful man of God. People had heard him preach, said, man, there was a strong anointing on him. And I asked the Lord when I was there, I was like, why in the world did you move over at Cane Ridge so powerfully where like 25 to 30,000 people, according to our United States military, shows up 
seven days of, I mean, heaven came down. Seven days, seven nights straight. And it's, it went from there and affected the whole nation as the second great awakening. But why did God do it at Cane Ridge and not do it at Red River? Why, why did God move with Barton Stone in that way and not finish with McGreedy, what began there? You see what I'm saying? This is a legitimate question because I was thinking, why did God move the revival like that? Well, I know enough to know this. James McGreedy is an incredible man of God. This is, I'm not saying this in a negative way. But he just stayed with the Presbyterian church and continued to minister among the Presbyterians, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that's what he did. Barton Stone, when the Holy Spirit fell at Cane Ridge, he was working with Baptist preachers and Methodist preachers, and this became a very big deal to Barton Stone. If you look up and read about him, one of the biggest messages he had and one of the things that was dearest to his heart was that denominational walls come down and that the greater body of Christ unified. It was a big deal to him. He preached sermons on it. He talked a lot about it. And he felt that that was a great hindrance. And he let, listen, he left the Presbyterian church in a good way, not in a rebellious way. But he said, I cannot remain in this denomination because he said they have like a sectarian type of a spirit about them. He called it a party spirit, but what he meant was like a Democratic Party or a Republican Party. It was like a separating thing. It was a very sectarian type of thing. And he said that they're, they're kind of a Presbyterian church only. Like, you know, and, and so he said, I cannot come in agreement with that. He said, God's people are also Baptist. They're also Methodist. I cannot have this divisive thing about me. And so he joined with some other ministers and he wrote out like a last will and testament of the Cambridge revival. Look it up and read it. And his heart was that there be unity for all of God's people and that the great revival that began at Cambridge would work its way into the greater body of Christ for all that would receive it. No denominational wall. And I believe that that's the main reason why God moved from, from where he was at Red River to Cane Ridge because at Cane Ridge, it went interdenominational. It, I, I should say it this way. It went non-denominational. And so that was a great work God did in John was that the love of God for the greater body of Christ and he began to go pursue getting impartation from several places. Benny Hinn prayed for him. He got prayer at the Argentine Revival and others. And when he heard that God touched Randy Clark so powerfully at Rodney Howard Brown's meeting, and without making this a long thing, Randy was in a dry place. He was crying out to God. He felt like his ministry was just dead and dry. And he had seen the move of God in the past, like in the 80s. And, and he was just, Lord, I've got to have more. And he goes to Rodney's meetings out of desperation. I think he went to the carpenter's house in Florida when it was so, you know, a major move. But he got prayer, came back, the Holy Spirit explodes at his church, and John calls him, Randy, you got to come. He finally talks him into it, Randy comes. And Carol said the Holy Spirit just fell hard on the people. But think about the preparation that was going on. The preparation was very non-denominational, that you're going, hear what I'm saying, you're going to different groups of people to get prayer that were not a part of your particular denomination. And so the body of Christ is a, it's like a greater 
uh, move. And, and that was one of the things I really respected. When Steve Hill came and preached at Brownsville on Father's Day of 95, he made it a point. If you go back and listen to that sermon, because he was Assembly God was preaching at Assembly God Church, he made it a point to really bring home how much God had used an Anglican preacher by the name of Sandy Miller to pray over him. And he knew that it would, it would tick off some of the religious people that were really denominationally minded. And they were like, they, they would be thinking, well, what are you doing going to some Anglican to get prayer? See, he did that on purpose. He wanted them to know that God was using somebody outside of their denomination to bring a major move of God in his life. And so these walls have got to come down. All right, and another thing God, is, God did at Toronto was when the Holy Spirit fell and the nation started coming, uh, yes, there was a deep move of repentance and a purging that only God could do. God began to move with inner healing. He began to move in that with, with deep forgiveness, forgiveness from the heart, uh, people's broken hearts. There was a refreshing, and it was a deep purging that only God could do in people, but the emphasis at the Toronto Revival was about intimacy with the Lord. And a lot of these vineyard songs that were written, especially in the early days, were very mellow and very like intimate with the Lord. And so that came over from there to Lyndall Cooley and to Brownsville. And Lyndall was saying that was really outside of what he was used to. He was really into kind of the choir type music and all that. He had been part of a, a different, different stream. But when that vineyard music came in and it was all about intimacy and God began to move at Brownsville, he said, man, he said, I would just weep. And we were singing these really soft songs, mellow, and it was all about loving on the Lord. So that leads me into this, about a strong personal prayer life. In River of Life, let me just tell you, this is the key. If you want to sustain revival in your life, keep yourself pure. Guard those godly convictions God's put in your life, okay? Guard them. But in that, spend time with the Lord. Now, when I'm saying that, I'm going to start winding this down because this isn't really a long thing tonight because I want to pray with people. But when I say that, we all can do this if we're not careful. We get caught up with our prayer requests. And we're praying about things that are important. We need to be praying about things. And we, we give him our list and we, we're, we're believing and we're doing faith confessions and we're maybe binding the enemy and all that. And all that's important and you need to do all that. But you also need to make room for just simply just soaking in his presence and listening and being close to the Lord. And so that's something I think that, that God's highlighting right now in River of Life. And I believe even in our services, you know, a lot of times people don't realize that God will touch you and you may fall out or something. And people kind of pop back up. But I think that if people would learn to just kind of soak in the Lord, I think there's a lot of things that could happen in their life that they're not aware of, that they've never really experienced. And you know, you can go places and receive just soaking in the Lord without anybody even praying for you. We went to Toronto in um, 2014 because it was the 20 year anniversary. I think the Holy Spirit, if I remember right, fell in like January of 94. And so we were there around that time, uh, January, February, I can't remember, of 2014 at the anniversary. And I just remember it being really cold, you know. And it, it was really powerful, though. And when we were there, I mean, as soon as I walked in, there's a lot of people there because the anniversary. And 
but there was an open heaven God's presence there and we began to worship and I was there to really receive from God and I was used to kind of the Brownsville model where you would go down and get prayer which I was wanting to do and they did have some of that available and we did do that but as soon as the worship started and God really began to move the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said to me I want you to go upstairs and I want you to find a place by yourself and just soak in my presence and I didn't even really realize that there was even anything up there so I'm all hearing the Lord tell me that and I'm looking to my left and there's stairs and I'm like well I guess it goes up. so I go up there and I didn't know that there would be whether or not there'd be people there or not you know I didn't know anything about this place I never been I get up there and thankfully where I was going there was there was places where you could go by yourself and I just kind of laid there and just began to soak and God began to just really come upon me and saturate me with his presence I mean strong when I was there and I kept feeling led by the Lord to keep doing that and what he was doing was he was just saturating me and the same thing when we went to Cambridge just to visit that one time Sandy and I were going to Tennessee to visit her nephew and um, when we were when we were there I said look let's drive up to Cambridge because it's not that far from where we are and she said okay so we went up there and we were looking around and and we go in and, and I felt the Lord when I was going in there but I said there was nobody there and they have like a an old church and it's it's enclosed and so I said, look, nobody's here. I'm, I want to go just kind of soak and pray for a little bit. And the longer I was there, nobody was there. There was no music. Nobody was praying for anybody. It was just me and Sandy there. I'm laying on this hard bench by myself. And, and I'm just sitting there just kind of soaking in the Lord. And the more I laid there, the more the Lord saturated me with his presence to the point that after about an hour, I didn't even realize it. But I knew it was time to go. And I tried to get up and I couldn't get up. And I started laughing. Because I was thinking, Lord, I, I, we really do have to go. And I can't even move. But see, nobody prayed for me. My point is, is that I think that people need to learn how to receive from the Lord in intimacy without having to have somebody pray for them all the time. Because I think sometimes people get prayer, and if God puts you out on the floor, just stay there and keep soaking in the Lord instead of popping back up and want somebody to pray for you again unless you feel that, that God specifically has something else to pray about. I'm not talking about that. But a lot of times people that don't know any better will just pop back up and they want more prayer. Then down they go again, then they pop back up. And it's like, listen, if you'll just soak in what God's doing, you don't have to keep getting prayer, just receive, you know. So there's something about letting the Lord just fill you. And listen to what I'm saying that is where the extra oil is and I know that Catherine Coleman I read her book years ago and there was another one about the I forget her name Guyon G-U-Y-O-N there was a lady lived back years ago and she had a, an intimacy with the Lord and she wrote about it and it was back in the Middle Ages and she of course she was labeled a heretic by the Catholic Church because she actually had a relationship with the Lord right yeah and so I, I was reading about her and she was talking about just soaking in the Lord's presence and then I was reading about Catherine Coleman and Catherine Coleman said people don't realize this but she said the place of of God's great anointing that she'll just spend time in prayer and then she'll just lay back in the Lord's presence and soak and she said in that place there's a tremendous impartation from the Lord and she said that many times before she would minister, the Lord would even baptize her in the Holy Spirit fresh. 
And then in that place, she was just saturated and she would come out of that and the, the meetings would just explode. But it was out of her intimacy with the Lord. And Benny Hinn even talked about that. He said that that place of deep calling unto deep, let me say that again, that place of deep calling unto deep where you're just intimate with the Lord, he said that's the place of the great anointing. And so during the 90s revivals, I mean, I was, I was just having a lot of prayer that was like that, just soaking in God's presence and not, I mean, I would pray like today, I pray about a lot of things. I have a prayer list and I, I bring these things up to the Lord. I believe there's an aspect of me taking authority over the enemy. There's an aspect of me speaking out faith, confessions and all of that. But I still try to carve out some time where I'm just listening to the Lord. Because if we're doing all the talking, he's not necessarily able to always do a lot of response. As we're monopolizing the conversation, you know, and then we go and get busy. But of course, the Lord speaks to me a lot when I'm going through life and just doing things too. So it's not just in a, in a quiet time. There's times the Lord has spoken to me out of the clear blue, driving down the road or whatever. So... Anyway, so let me just kind of bring this to a close. Song of Solomon. If you understand the Song of Solomon, what this is, it's a, like a poetic thing. So kind of like a Shakespearean type of drama that's written. Okay, so you understand that. And so it's like a play. And in this, uh, Solomon had this harem of wives. I mean, I guess he felt the need to have a thousand wives or whatever. How many was there? 600 wives? 400 concubines, whatever. I mean, the guy had so many wives, right? But there was this great harem. But apparently, there was one that he really loved, and that was the one that he spent the, his time with. And that's what Song of Solomon's about, because you'll read about this lady that feels that she, she's in love with him, he's in love with her, and then her friends, these are the other people in the harem, and say you're the one that's beloved above all the other women, blessed above all the others, the one that, you know, and they're, they're, they're the other harem talking to her. And so when you understand that, and I'm going to read some things. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just giving some highlights here. But Song of Solomon 1.5, obviously in this context, Solomon is a picture and type of Jesus. And the lady that is the beloved is a picture and type of the bride okay and i think personally the greater harem if you will is a picture and type of the the greater body of christ all over the world everybody that professes christianity but how many knows there's always like a remnant that are close to the lord that have a real relationship with him that spend time in prayer these are the wise virgins with extra oil which i'm gonna get to so song of psalm at one verse five this lady's talking about herself and says, I am dark, but still lovely. So she knew that she was attractive, but I think here, I'm going to speak as a metaphor. The dark might mean that she kind of feels insecure about herself. And in Christianity, a lot of times we, feel, we focus on the fact that we're not perfect. And so a lot of times we think, I would like to spend time with the Lord, but I'm so imperfect I have my issues. How many know what I'm talking about? 
And so this is kind of what I see here. She's saying, I'm dark but still lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Cater, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze upon me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me keepers of the vineyard. But she shouldn't have had to do all this laboring that men do. But she was forced out there by her brothers who were obviously kind of rough with her. And the sun darkened her so much and she was insecure about it. And she said in verse 7, tell me you whom my soul loves, talking about Solomon, where do you pasture your flock? Where you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? She didn't want to be, she's veiled because she belongs to him, but she didn't want to be off in other pastures she wanted to be with him and so her friends in verse 8 the other people in the harem okay they said if you do not know O fairest among the women follow the tracks of the flock and the pasture of the young goats beside the shepherd's tents so they were saying just find the path and follow the path to where he is and then this is Solomon here the bridegroom saying in verse 9 this is the way he saw her she saw herself as not really attractive but he says about her i compare you my love to a mare among pharaoh's chariots lovely are your cheeks with ornaments your neck with chains of gold so he saw her attractive even though she didn't see herself that way and so we need to understand that as imperfect as we are and all of that we come through the blood of jesus and the blood of Jesus is what makes us pure and attractive. So regardless, the rest of your life, you're going to have to resolve it within yourself that you're never going to be perfect in this life. You're always going to have things God's working on. We are a work in progress till we die. And so there's never going to be a time when you measure up. And that's where pride can come in if you think that you ever will. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're... We're dependent on God's grace that the blood of Jesus makes us righteous. Our righteousness is his filthy rags. So we don't come in this presumption like, well, you know, I'm this perfect person. No, but we come through the fact that Jesus, your blood makes me righteous and makes me spiritually beautiful to God. Okay. And then I'm skipping over a lot and we get to verse or chapter three. And I want you to see the desperate hunger in her because the Lord wants us to have a desperate hunger in us that will cause us to pursue him. Song of Solomon 3.1 and that's what God was doing in the 90s revivals. And I, and I say this in love and, and in the right way, okay? But I'm saying this as I feel like I need to say it. But there was several people I can think of that should have been at this conference this week. They really truly didn't have a good excuse other than they just lost their hunger. That's a fact. I love you if they're watching. I love you. I'm not upset or anything. We had a great time without you. But the fact of the matter is what happens to people that they can't even turn off a TV and drive a, a short distance to something that's not going to cost them a penny and just to receive. And let me tell you, God really moved here. 
It wasn't a joke. I, I'm not some novice that thinks just because one person spoke in tongues, oh, God really showed up. This was a, a significant move of the Lord here this week. This was reminiscent of what I felt in the altars at Brownsville, and I'm not exaggerating. This was an intense move of God, and they used to be in revival. They used to be the type of people that would spend money to drive all the way to somewhere like Pensacola or whatever, stay in hotels, wait in lines... And do all this difficult stuff just to get in there, just to receive. And, and, and here it is right at their doorstep. And they're too spiritually dead to get off their rear end and come to a move of God. God help us. And let me tell you, please God, don't let that happen to me. Oh, I mean, that's, that's a, a fear that we all should have. God, don't let our love grow cold. But she says here in Song of Solomon 3.1, on my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. So sleeping is prayerlessness. But see, here's the thing. Even though she was sleeping, she was not in prayer, there was still something in her that was burning. Isn't that something? How many of you guys, even when you're not praying, you're not spending time with the Lord or anything, but you're still, something's burning in there. You see, and she said this. She said, you know what? Verse two, I'm gonna get up now and I'm gonna go find him. And she said, I will seek him who my soul loves. I sought him and I found him not. And the watchman found me. Now, who are the watchmen? These are the prayer warriors, the intercessors, those that know the Lord, okay? The watchman found her as she went about the city and she asked them, is everybody seeing the symbolism here? She's hungry for more, and she's asking now the prayer warriors and the intercessors and those that know the Lord, how do I find him? How do I get in his presence? How do I know him like you do? Have you seen him whom my soul loves? In verse 4, scarcely had I passed them by when I found him. I held him. And would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house in the chamber of one who conceives me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and those of the field and all that. It says this in verse 6. Who is it that's coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke? This sounds like the glory cloud, doesn't it? Think about what I'm saying. The Lord is coming toward his house, toward you. And it's like a column of smoke. It's like the pillar of fire or the cloud by day. Or the, yeah, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And it says perfume with myrrh and frankincense. It reminds me also of like the worship and the prayer of the incense. Okay. With all the fragrant powders of the merchant. Look, it is the litter of Solomon. And what that is in the Middle East and Far East, it's like a portable couch or something that people that had wealth would make like this portable couch and they would be four people that would carry it on poles. I mean, you've probably seen this. And, and they'll carry it. I think that that was what the eunuch, when Philip ran up to the eunuch, I think that's what he was in, was one of these things. It's like a couch and they carry it on poles. And so she said, look, it is the litter of Solomon. He's on his royal 
couch, if you will, being carried. And it says around him are 60 mighty men, men of Israel, all of them holding swords, experts in war, each with a sword at his thigh because of the terrors of night. And King Solomon made himself the same thing, palanquin, however you say it is the same thing. It's just another word for the portable couch from the wood of Lebanon. So it was expensive wood made with posts that they were carrying. The posts were made of silver. The back of this thing was pure gold. The seat he was on was purple, which speaks of royalty. And the interior in there is inlaid by the love of the daughters of Jerusalem. You know what that was? His harem fixed it up for him, you know, made it all beautiful. And they said, she said, go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon. She's pointing people to him. Look at him in all of his glory. This is a picture and type of us pointing people to Jesus, trying to get us to come see him and look at him. Get your focus on him. And it said, with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. So here she is. She's hungry. She's willing to ask the watchmen, the prayer warriors, how do I know him? And she searched for him until she found him. And when she found him, she said, I'm not letting this go. I found the Lord. I found his presence. And that's how I felt when I started this whole ministry was this. I had been around all these other things that were going on. I've been so deeply touched in revival. I, I love everybody. I'm not saying this. Please hear my heart in this. I believe this is from a humble heart. But apparently some people receive more than others. Because I've seen a lot of people that were touched in revival that, that aren't even living right now. Okay, And some of them aren't even living for the Lord. Some of them aren't even in church. What happened to you? But God touched me so deeply that I was saying, Lord, I don't care. I don't want just another church. I don't want religion. I can't fit into that anymore. And that's what Sergio Scattiglini, uh, listen, I, maybe y'all picked up on this or not, but that, that he has some spiritual discernment and is very prophetic. And we were talking and he said so many things to me and we had such a wonderful time together. But one of the things he told me was, Pastor, I can see in you that you're, you have a heart for revival. And he said, I know that you'll never be happy with anything else. He, he could just sense it, and it's true. I don't want it. Listen, they could offer me this, that, and the other. If God's not there and, God, and there's not going to be a move of God, I just don't want it. And I'll go wherever God's moving. But there's this hunger in me that said, listen, we've got to have something that's conducive for a move of God. And so that's where this whole ministry came from and the whole heart of it. But here's the concerning thing. If we're not careful, we can lose that. Song of Solomon, verse, chapter 5, verse 2. Now look at this. This is the same lady, mind you, that had such a hunger that made her get up in the middle of the night and pursue him. She said, forget about sleep. It doesn't matter that I'm tired. I'm going to get up and I'm going to pursue the Lord until I find him. There was a desperate cry for him. Same lady. Now the Lord is beginning to reach out to her. Look at this. Song of Solomon 5, chapter 5, verse 2. She said, I slept, but my heart was awake. So even though she was sleeping again, she wasn't in prayer. There was still something stirring in her. And she said, a sound. My beloved is knocking. Now, how many remember the scripture where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open unto me, I'll come in and sup with you. 
So the Lord is pursuing her. Is everybody listening to me and look this way, please, and hear what I'm saying? Don't lose it. Because, I mean, look at this. Now, she was the one pursuing him. Now, the Lord is actually knocking at her door and wanting to pursue her. And here's what she says. Hey, well, the Lord said to her, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. My head is wet with dew. My locks with the drop of the night. And listen to her response. And didn't Ralph mention this last night? It, her response was this. I had taken off my garment already. How can I put it back on again? That's a pretty pathetic excuse. I took off my bathrobe. I just don't want to put it back on again. I don't want to turn off the TV and get off my lazy rear end to drive down the road to go to where God's moving anymore. Hello? And then she says, I've already bathed my feet and I can't soil them again as though she couldn't wash them a second time. I mean, is this really difficult? Are you having to go all the way down a mile to the well to get water all over again to wash your feet here or something? Is it, doesn't it sound like to you she's just making excuses because she doesn't feel like getting up? Verse four, my beloved, the Lord put his hand on the latch and she said, my heart yearned for him. So there was something still in her that was yearning. And I rose up to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh. See the Lord, even though she didn't open to him, there was still that oil on the latch. There was still an anointing there. And when she went, to, she went to open it after she probably felt convicted about it. She's like, man, the Lord's reaching out to me. He's drawing me to pray, drawing me to spend time with him. And right, here I am making every excuse to not, and she's like, okay, I'm going to get up now. So she gets up, but he's already gone. And now the oil is on the latch, and she gets it on her hands, and she realizes, I've just missed something. I've just missed a move of God. And so she said, I opened to my beloved, but my, my beloved had already turned away and was gone, and my soul failed me. And when he spoke, I sought him, and I found him not. I called to him, and he gave no answer. In other words, he was gone. In verse 7, she said, then, this is interesting to me. The same watchman here, okay? She's going through the city, and look at how the watchmen are treating her now. This is like a rebuke. The watchmen found me as I went about the city, and they struck me, they wounded me, and they took away my mantle. those watchmen on the walls isn't it interesting that now she's kind of being disciplined by the watchmen she missed the move of god verse 8 i charge you O daughters of jerusalem if you find my beloved that you tell him i am faint with love and so here we are in a time when, when God is about to pour out his spirit. But I believe there's some kind of a testing that's going on right now that, that God is sifting and seeing. Who Listen, this concerns me. What has happened to some that were so deeply touched in the past by the move of God that they have backslidden? Some of them aren't living for the Lord. Some aren't in church. But others have even gotten into places where God doesn't move and, and it's like they're comfortable there. What has happened? And so I'm going to close out with uh, Matthew 25. And I know that you guys are so familiar with this. I talked about even this week about the ancient Jewish wedding. So I'm not going to get back into that. 
But Matthew 25, we're all familiar with this in River of Life. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. They're all ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The lamps, they're all, they all have their lamps. The lamps have to do with witnessing and being a light. They all have their lamps. Verse 2, but five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those that were foolish, they still had their lamps, but they didn't have any oil. They didn't have that extra oil. You get the extra oil through your intimacy with the Lord. But the wise took jars of oil with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, and that's how we feel right now. Lord, even so come quickly, Lord. The Lord is, is delayed. They all rested and slept. That has to do with getting to a point of being prayerless. But at midnight there was a cry, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out to meet him. And all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, but the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil because their lamps wouldn't light. They didn't have the oil. And the wise said, no way, you know, I paid a price for this oil in my life. You go and, and buy your own oil. He says, it's not going to be enough for both of us. How many knows that you got your own personal intimacy with the Lord? I mean, how are you, you can't bottle that up and give that to somebody else. That's something that they've got to develop for themselves. And I think a lot of times that's the problem is that there's people in, in the church world that have their own relationship with the Lord. And then there's others that they don't want that. They just want to come to church and feel good and get touched and then go home and have no personal relationship. You can't ride somebody else's walk with God. And you can't depend on the church to do it for you. These are those that were foolish virgins. And because of what I'm describing, they didn't have extra oil. And so while they went to buy oil, while they were gone, buying oil, the bridegroom came and those that were ready, everybody say ready. Those that were ready went in to meet him where? At the wedding banquet, the marriage supper. This is the catching away of the remnant bride to the marriage supper of the lamb and the door was shut remember revelation 4 everything was about the church in revelation 2 and 3 to the church at such and such then in chapter 4 something like a door was opened in heaven come up here and then you don't read about the church again why because it's different after that the remnant bride had been caught up and now the focus was back on the nation of israel and let me tell you there's, there's going to be foolish virgins that they may be the Lord's people. They've been born again, but they don't have extra oil. They're not ready. They're not a bride without spot or blemish. And when the Lord comes as a thief in the night, they're going to be left behind here to have to deal with the tribulation. I can show it to you in a lot of places in Scripture, not the least of which would be in Revelation, where it talks about tribulation saints that are martyred and they're underneath the altar. And it also says in Jesus' teachings, he said, one will be caught up and another left. So the other virgins, then after the door was shut, it's over. The door's shut. The wise virgins are now with the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And look at this. And says, and afterward, the other virgins also came and said, Lord, Lord, they're praying. They're crying out. They were left behind. They know that they missed the rapture, man. They missed the boat. They know it. And now they're down here on the earth crying out. And they're saying, Lord, Lord, open the door for us too. Get us out of here. 
And the Lord answered and said, truly I say to you, I don't know you. Watch therefore. What does watch mean? Pray. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour of the Son of Man's coming. We don't know. And so this is the time, River of Life, to be pursuing that extra oil in your personal life. And don't get me wrong, there's extra oil that we get corporately too. It's like how many knows this week, my goodness, that we were filled with extra oil. But you know, this week's over. And I'm going to tell you, it's always concerned me to think about what I've seen. I close with this. I've seen people that were so touched in revival. I saw it. I know some of them. And now I look at their life and they're not walking with the Lord. Here's the danger in this. You can't depend on the, the intensity of a move of God to be your relationship with God. You've got to have a personal relationship with him whether revival's going on or not. That's the danger. And people depended on that glory and that flame that they would walk into. And that was sustaining them for a time. And then when that was over, many of them walked away. Foolish virgins right there. Perfect description of them. They're, they don't have a personal relationship. And because of that, they don't have extra oil. And because of that, they're also being defiled by the things of this world. And the Lord's not coming for a bunch of dirty, stained brides out there that don't have extra oil. He's coming for a bride without spot or blemish, wise virgins with extra oil, and those that have made themselves ready. Amen. So I'm going to pray, and then I want us just to put on some worship or something, and we're going to go through it. I'm going to pray with you guys and agree with you. But I want us to spend some time tonight. We've got plenty of time. I knew that this service, I felt the Lord put on my heart that this service would run a little bit shorter tonight because I felt the Lord wanted you guys to just spend some time soaking in his presence and spend some time in prayer. And I encourage you, it is a good time to talk to him about some things that are important that you need to pray about. It is, that is important. But also learning to just kind of just rest in his presence and let him speak to you. And some, some have maybe really never known the Lord in that way. But let God begin to show you things. He may show you some kind of a vision or he may just speak to you or he may not speak to you but you're just being saturated in his presence and that's enough you know there's times that my wife and I just sit together and we may not say a whole lot but you know just being together and sometimes the Lord he may not want to say anything to you he just wants to be with you and so as we learn to have that relationship so Lord I thank you tonight for your word I thank you for this message about intimacy these last four sermons that I preach go together. Lord, you're wanting to deeply consecrate your people. You want us to guard ourselves against any defilement and against being desensitized. But you're also wanting us to draw deep into intimacy with you. It's not about all these other things. You know, we have wonderful church services, wonderful praise and worship, and all of that, and it's all good. But at the end of the day, it's about him and it's about your relationship with him. That's it. And that's the only thing that's really going to matter when this life is over is your personal relationship with him and were you faithful to do what he asked you to do. That's the only two things that's going to matter. So think about what's going to matter when you're dead. The only two things is that you really walked with him and knew him intimately and you did what he told you to do. 
you were a witness or whatever God told you to do, you were faithful to do it. That's all that's going to matter. And so, Lord, I thank you. Help us, Lord, to be intimate with you and help us to be faithful to you in all things that you've called us to do. Nothing lacking that we can stand before you one day and, and hear you say, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And you can look at us and say, you are a part of my remnant bride. That's without spot or blemish. You were among those that were wise virgins with extra oil. That was who you were. That's what we want to be. And so, Lord, tonight as we pray, I thank you for just a fresh anointing and saturate your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.